Welcome to another episode of Jody Jenkins, the golf guy. I do apologize off the top. My voice, not 100%. And the reason being last week, believe it or not, first time this has ever happened to me that I can recall, I got a little tickle in my throat on like a Thursday. Next day, full-blown laryngitis. And and before everyone gets like, oh my gosh, did you get COVID? No, it was not COVID. People were saying like, go get a test. I did not get a test. The reason being, I lined up all the symptoms. I looked, researched everything. I had zero symptoms other than my voice was gone. And what I did find out was that laryngitis is actually a virus. It's uh, as catchable as a cold. Uh, just affects your voice. You can either lose your voice or it makes it hoarse. Um, so, yeah, I lost my voice for about three or four days and slowly coming back, but much better than it was. And I'll tell you, as a broadcaster, not what you want to happen in this field of work. But let's get on to what we're here to talk about, all things golf. We have an exciting guest today, good friend of the show. Uh, let's introduce him right now, Mr. Nick Starchuk. You can find him online at nickstarchuk.com, one of the top instructors in the country. Nick, welcome back. Thanks very much for having me. So I did say you were one of the top instructors in the country. You won, you won an award once. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, I won the uh, PGA of Ontario Teacher of the Year Award in 2013. Um, you know, that was one of the years that was one of my busier years. I was pretty active in golf then. Um, you know, I was the Eastern Canada flight scope guy, so I was being I was able to meet a bunch of other pros and teachers and educate them on launch monitors, which was kind of, you know, the, the beginning of data when it comes to a golf lesson. Um, so I think, I, you know, I got my name out there a little bit, and um, yeah, I was lucky to win that award. Well, let's get your name out there a little bit more in the world by talking about the government mm-hmm. uh, here in Ontario and, of course, the uh, recent shutdown of golf courses. And I'll let you go as far or as uh, not as far as you want with your comments. But just as a um, kind of a summary of information for those that are listening and might not be from Canada, because we do have a lot of listeners from across the world, just a couple days ago, the provincial government came out with new restrictions because of COVID, uh, some of them good, some of them not so good. And we're going to focus in on the restrictions with outdoor spaces. And in essence, what they said was golf is shut down in Ontario. You cannot play golf. And there's a great meme going around, Nick, and I think I think you actually shared it. I think it's where I saw it first. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, where it shows North America, every state, every country is green where it says legal to play golf. And then Ontario's red illegal to play golf. We're the only place in North America where you can't play golf. What was your reaction when you first heard that as someone who generates a living from golf? Well, you know, I've been juggling the whole lockdown thing for, I guess, a year now because I've got an indoor studio as well. So um, it's been tough. It's been really hard to swallow all this stuff because, it, you know, from my perspective, none of this passes the smell test. I mean, nothing nothing really seems to make sense. Um, I got a chance to play Copetown Woods last week, a couple days before uh, Doug Ford announced that golf was, you know, shut down. uh, And it was wonderful. You know, we were able to, I was able to stay 30, 40 yards away from the people that I played with. Um, You know, we got on the green, maybe get a little bit closer there, but you know, it was, it was completely safe. Uh, The golf course was run perfectly. There wasn't very many people around us at the time. They staged things well, Um, you know, and I don't know how many rounds were done last year, but there was not one outbreak of, of sickness at any golf course. Um, And then you start hearing about where the outbreaks are and those places are still open. So 
nothing really seems to make sense. You know, I, I, I try, I'll be honest, I try not to follow this too much. Uh, I try not to watch the media very much. And, you know, I don't follow those accounts on any social media. But, you know, when I do catch things, you, you hear Doug Ford say in one, one week that, you know, uh, any politician would be committing career suicide in the event that they went against the medical advice. And then 10 days later, he goes against the medical advice. I mean, like, I don't know what's going on or who's, you know, the puppet master here, but it just doesn't make any sense because golf is an outdoor activity. Uh, every golf course was the, the, such a tight ship last year in terms of spacing people apart. And, you know, whether it's waiting in your car a certain amount before you tee off or when you get there spaced out on the driving range. I mean, I saw all the, the awesome club link pictures about, you know, hey, here's our first group of the year. And, you know, they're basically standing on each tee box so far yeah, apart exactly. from each other. So um, I I just can't make heads or tails of all this. I I never really have in the first place. But, like, I mean, Ontario is the most locked down, restricted place in all of North America. Still, it's not just like we earned this title yesterday. We got this title months ago, and it just isn't making sense. Um, You know, I kind of feel like we don't have a whole lot of uh, support from federal government on all this stuff it's almost like ontario's kind of left out as as the black sheep of the country right now um but i don't know i just i uh, i don't understand it i don't know why golf courses and driving ranges are closed considering they're outside but you know you can go have a party in costco if you want um it just it it's strange and it's tough on the livelihood you know like i'm one, i'm one of the few people in the golf business that doesn't earn a salary from a golf course Right. I'm a client of a golf course. I pay them to be there. And, uh, you know, I had an entire month of May, even the last week of April, booked up with my golf schools. And now I've had to push them all back to June, July and August. And it it, it doesn't really seem to make sense. But it's also tough on, you know, on my livelihood, considering I really only get paid if I'm standing in front of a golfer. Exactly. Um, you exactly. know, uh the other guys are kind of in a fortunate situation where they're they're earning salaries, but it's really difficult. Um, and you know, sometimes when you talk about this stuff with non-golfers, you know, they throw they throw the whole thing up. Well, I mean, come on, it's just golf. Like people are dying all over the place. I'm like, well, yeah, but people also are losing their businesses over this, and this happens to be my business. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Know, it's in, Nick. It's interesting you say that. I just want to jump off that because. Yeah. And I don't want to spend a ton of time more on this, but I did see some comments on Facebook when this discussion started from some people I know that were like, why are we focused on golf? It's an elitist sport. Uh, you know, everyone that owns a golf course is a, you know, a corporate millionaire. Uh, and I said, whoa, 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 wait a second. There's a lot of golf courses and you can speak to this, Nick, I'm sure better than I could. A lot of golf courses in Ontario that are literally mom and pop shops. Is that not correct? Oh my gosh. Is it ever, you yeah. know, like they, they run a, a crazy business for six plus months of the year. And, you know, at the end of the year, it it's, you know, might be a hundred grand, might be yeah. something small like that in profit. So, yeah. you know, like the, not everybody owns club link. No, exactly. You know? And it, you, then you take the private clubs completely out of it. Um, and you start to look at the public golf courses. I mean, there's a, a wonderful lady who I believe owns sawmill golf club down in Niagara. Who's got a fantastic uh, tweet going around saying, you know, like, Hey, we're doing everything we can here um, to open up our golf course and to be safe. And we haven't we, like, we've done everything you've asked us. Um, and clearly like you own sawmill golf club. It's, it's, 
You're not driving. The whole family's not driving Ferrari. So this is this is no longer an elitist sport. This is no longer you know something for the wealthy. This is like you can get a set of clubs for under a thousand dollars, and you can play golf for less than a hundred dollars a round. You know, there's a lot more things. You can't even buy a bike for that. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I think that a lot of the the non-golfers are a little bit short-sighted and they're still stuck in the 1960s um, where, you know, I I just kind of ignore that because, you know, you're not talking to people that are informed. You're talking about people that might have something close to them where, you know, oh, so-and-so lost their whatever business or, you know, someone in my family got sick because they're an essential worker. Um, but I think, like, hey, the definition of essential is something that we haven't even heard of yet. No, exactly. And golf, you know, a golf, a lot of golf courses, the the individuals that run it, they're running it because they have a passion for the people and for the sport itself. I think of, like, uh, Seaforth. Is that not run by the Doig family? Absolutely. Like, and Yeah, and I know one of their, I believe the patriarch of that family passed away recently. Just yesterday, um, I believe, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I met Rob and Doig at our Pro-Am. I've heard nothing but good things about their family. Mm-hmm. But that's a great example. Like, I'm pretty sure they're not in it to get rich. No. Uh, they love the game. And they love they love their clients, I'm assuming. Absolutely. They absolutely do. And, you know, that's it's such a the Doigs are such a wonderful family. I mean, Ian is such an amazing player. Still, you know, hustling around the tours, trying to trying to hold up trophies. Um, you know, they had their Seaforth uh uh, McKenzie tour, uh, stop. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you know, uh, I mean, it's hard to get sponsors out there and see forth. So you got to think that they dipped into their own pockets to make that happen. I mean, show, show me another group that's going to dip into their own pocket for grow the game. I mean, yeah. it's, it's phenomenal. So I think that, yeah, these golf, like no one's no, I don't want to say no one, but the, the majority of golf courses aren't run by someone who's just looking for, you know, a, a tax haven from their multi-billion dollar corporation. Um, yeah. These are actually love of the game. I want to help people out. I enjoy being around people during their leisure time. And that's why I got into golf. I'm around people during their leisure time. Um, And it's hard not to be around those people right now because this is the year where you see your 400 smiling faces come back after the winter. Exactly. Exactly. And and you know what? This will be the last thing we say, but I know I'm going to get this show into the right hands. So Premier Ford can listen to this. So Doug, Doug, get in nice and close here, Doug. Doug, I want to say something to you. Let us, let us play, Doug. Let us play. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So Nick, we're we're, gonna, we're off. We're we're done with that tangent. We're, good. we're done with that rant. So that's that's good and well done. Okay. I want to get into some instruction stuff, and it, this might just go anywhere we we take it or where you take it. But here's where I'm going to start because golf has evolved. Uh, we're just like we're learning about COVID. We're learning about golf. We're learning uh, what data can do for the golf swing and the golf game. And that's where you come in. A couple weeks ago, I'm watching John Rahm on the range. And I heard something that I hadn't heard an announcer say in a long time ever, actually. And he was talking about how John Rahm doesn't come back to parallel. Parallel. He has a very short backswing. And one of the announcers said, you know, it was always a myth that you had to get back to parallel. We now know that's not true. The ways to transfer your weight. And I got me thinking, it's like, man, that's crazy because in my swing, I've always tried to come back as far as I can, because that's what we were told to do. Mm-hmm. So start there, but then unpack a little bit about how we've learned about how to transfer weight is one example, how to get through the ball better, but how have things evolved when it comes to the swing, uh, well, especially with things like that? Massive. So, you know, when we talk about taking the club to parallel, um, 
I think that really comes back to David Ledbetter. And David was the pioneer of golf media. You know, he was writing books and doing videos back when the camera was over your shoulder like a ghetto blaster. You know, I mean, and so I got a chance to talk to David in 2010 a lot. Like almost every weekend, we had a chance to chat for almost seven months. And I asked him about some things. I'm like, so what's the deal with, and this was one of my questions, what's the deal with taking the club back to parallel? And he said, Nick, it looks good in a magazine. (laughs) <laughs> so I said, okay, wow. that makes total sense. Like yeah. it looks like, well, it's the door frame, the pick, the magazine square. Let's get the, the club shaft, even with the lines on the piece of paper that we're looking at. So, I mean, if taking it back to parallel is a fundamental, then I think we have to look at long drivers and go, wow, you guys are all broken. We have to look at John Daly and say, holy geez, like this is super wrong. And then you look at guys like the longest guys out there, like JB Holmes, who, who doesn't do that. So I think that if the club gets back to a place that's parallel to the ground, because that's where you pushed pause on the camera, good for you. Like write a blog, tweet about it, but it has nothing to do with how the club comes back to the golf ball. You know, the the most important thing in transition is the club going from upswing to downswing is that the transition happens with some acceleration, right? The idea of pausing at the top and holding everything still is terrible when it comes to the science of how we're creating speed. So you look at a guy like uh, Bryson DeChambeau, who has broken all the barriers for speed and power nowadays. And what he's done, one of the things that he's done is that He's he's transitioning from backswing to downswing harder than he ever has because yeah. that's where you pump the energy into the swing. I mean, if we're watching Bryson, we can say, hey, your club stopped at the top. It went from three miles an hour to two to one to zero and then one, two, three, you know, yeah. so it got to zero. Therefore, it stopped. But that's not what he's feeling. He feels the acceleration of the golf club. So that means he's working the hardest when everybody around him sees the club actually stop. Yeah. Nick, quickly, I just wanted to say, because you mentioned long drivers then. You've seen those, like if we took a long drive, uh, you know, I think of a guy like a Wes Patterson or Kyle Berkshire, uh, even a new guy on the scene named Scotty Pierman, you you freeze their swing at the top. And some of their, their, it looks like it appears, I don't think it's an illusion, it appears that their golf club is actually behind them, the head almost pointing down at the ball. Of course. That's how far back... Is, is it possible for them to do what they're doing without going that far back? Or are they just giving themselves a bigger window of, of a margin of error, like for more things to happen in a negative way? Well, like, let me ask you, if you drove your car 100 meters versus 200 meters, which one would get the car faster? <clears throat> right? The yeah, farther, no, you, I, the farther I, you go in your car, the more yeah. acceleration, the faster speed yeah, you true. can get. So, you know, rule number one to create speed in the golf swing is how far can you bring the handle of the club back from where it started? How high can you get your hands? And then rule number two is how hard can you transition from that spot? So the fact that those guys take their 48-inch golf club and get it to like perpendicular to the ground at the top of their swing, all that means is that club heads traveled farther and they can therefore get more speed out of it down where the golf ball is. So could is it possible, though, could you get the same result, figure out a way to do it without having to go per, or, you know, mm-hmm. perpendicular or no? I think that every long driver in the game does that, and that's the answer. We've okay. never had a long drive guy looking like John Rahm. Yeah, true. Right? True. So, like, the golf club head has to move farther. And, you know, I'm sure that if you ask John to hit it 50 more yards off the tee, 
he would just take it back farther. Yeah, I was going to say he'd probably yeah. just swing. Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> right. It's true. So, yeah, I, I think that um, the, the long drive guys really have shown us a lot of stuff on how we're supposed to create speed in the swing. You can see it in their footwork, right? They're pretty basically off the ground at impact. They're in the air jumping. So there's lots of different things that those guys can teach us. The But transitioning from a long drive guy where you get one shot at a five to hit it within a fairway versus, you know, a guy like Jamie Sedlowski, who's now trying to play on tour. Like he's had to really done, done some things to his swing to, to get that ball under control because one drive that goes out of bounds out of five means you, you don't Monday qualify. You miss the cut. No, it's true. It's true. Nick, um, I'd be curious to know your thoughts on someone. Like what, what would you implement in someone? If you had, you know, imagine like a, um, an artist who has a blank canvas, but you have a student come in that's a blank canvas, real great athletic ability, has never golfed, but you notice that they're able to pick up things quite quickly. What what would be some of the, the main things that you would implement in them with their swing? Like what specifics would you go after? Well, I can think of one right now. I've been working with this guy, a uh, local guy here who um, played a very, very high level basketball, um, currently a basketball coach and picked up golf last year for the first time. So, you know, the things that I, that I put into his swing was trying to get him a grip. First of all, that allowed him to swing the club fast, right? I'm not saying that there's a perfect grip because there's way more bad grips. Um, or sorry, there's way more acceptable grips than there are bad grips. So we got an acceptable grip going and I tried to implement the, basically the things that are going to help him hit the, hit swing the club fast. So full backswing, um, transition hard, and then learn how to hit the ground where he wants to. So learn how to hit the ground in the right spot, which is technically in front of the golf ball. Um, how it looks, I could care less. Where he aims his body, I could care less. Um, and how he finishes his swing, you know, as long as he's not falling over and like falling out of the batter's box, so to say, I, I could care less. So all, I, I move away from cosmetics. It doesn't have to look a certain way. This has to act a certain way. So, you know, we're trying to create speed. We're trying to get him to hit the ground in front of the ball. So that eight iron that, that you know, swings it at almost 90 miles an hour, which is PGA Tour level, actually gets something out of the golf ball. So he gets paid for his speed. Hits the ground in front of the ball. And all of a sudden, the eight iron in year number one goes 170 yards. Wow. Like pretty simple. Um, And so once he's able to swing the club and he's able to hit the ball solid and the ball goes in, in a direction that's predictable. Okay. That's all I'm looking for is a direction that's predictable. That's why I don't care where he aims, whether he pulls it left or fades it right, right. Those go hand in hand. So the idea of a two way miss, every golfer in the world has a two way miss forever. Um, You know, that's the, that's what we're looking at when it comes to being on the driving range. And then I teach him how to chip around the green and make the putts. So we've worked a lot on, you know, getting an understanding on what's going on with this putter, um, you know, getting some good touch around the green. So, you know, um, I, I do short game schools in the summer up at TPC Toronto. And the whole idea around that is to learn five or six shots around the green from tall grass to short grass to short shots to high shots and then out of the sand. And if he can get out of the sand on the green, A plus, good job. You know, PGA Tour gets up and down out of the sand 40% of the time, not 80 or 90 like we think. It's 40% of the time. So if he gets on the green in two putts, good job. Just don't hit it in the sand very often, you know. And then teach him how to use the wedge around the green because it's the most multidimensional club we've got. You know, he might have 11 chips around the green from beside the green and use his wedge nine different ways. So we have to understand that the driver does one thing all the time, never change it. And the wedge is something we use differently every time. So... We got some power. We got some touch around the green and he can, you know, he can make putts. 
I'm not saying he's going to make every 10-foot putt, but he's not going to three-putt. So that's the way to do it. So you're number one. He's shooting around, you know, 87, 86. Wow. Which is that's pretty cool. good. Yeah. No, that's – I think that's very cool. Um, Nick, there's so many instructors out there. I'd be curious to know how do you cut through the noise? Like why – I'll, I'll use you as an example. Obviously, it makes sense. But why would I go to Nick Starchuk versus someone else? Wow, um, I could talk for like a year on this. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, give me your elevator speech. You should have an elevator speech on that. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say that you know I'm a I'm a full time teacher year round. So both seasons, and all I do is teach. So you know, I uh, th- it's hard to distinguish golf pros from the from the general public. You've got a yeah. golf pro who plays golf for a living, like some of the mini tour players I've got. You've got a golf pro that works in the golf store, you know, that runs tournaments and, you know, builds the uh, the displays for all the, the stuff they sell in the store. And then, you know, like uh, an operations guy. And then yeah. you have teachers. And when you look at all the teachers, I want to I, I want to take lessons from a guy who takes lessons themselves. You know, like I run four hour golf schools, right? Yeah. Because my my learning experience from myself was doing golf schools. I would fly down to California and we would spend 12 hours a day, three days straight with a group of people doing a, in a golf school. So I sell the product that I also buy. You know, I take lessons. I take lessons all the time from people, um, whether it's on my short game, whether it's on my putting, whether it's on my full swing. And I took one of each of those in the past two weeks. So, you know, I take lessons. I, I used to say, you know, you want to learn golf from someone who's played golf competitively, but that's not necessarily a fact anymore. However, if you're a golfer that's trying to be a competitive golfer, like I think you have to go to someone who's played competitive golf because, you know, if they say, man, I had a one shot lead on the 18th hole, how should I have felt? Well, if I've never been there, how am I going to tell you what that feels like? Yeah, it's true. So it's true. I think that, you know, you have to find a, you have to find a teacher that does nothing but teach that has taught for a long time and that takes lessons from some of the best trainers and coaches and teachers in the, you know, ultimately in the world. And that's how you start to gain knowledge because the PGA doesn't teach us how to teach. They teach us how to teach someone to learn a skill, but that skill could be origami. I mean, there's no, Hey, the club face has to be here because it's on plane. Therefore it's going to be, you know, this many degrees, whatever. Like you, we learn that ourselves. I fly all over the world to learn that kind of stuff. You know, all the science that's coming out nowadays with all the different types of forces and torques and, you know, the moment arm and blah, 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 blah. Like the, the deep stuff. I mean, it, the PGA is not teaching us that we have to go to PhDs in a lab that, that, you know, have a $300,000 system to measure these things. So, um, I really would say that if if you're a golfer that's really trying to develop your game to something better, you've got to look at those that have done it themselves. Yeah, so if I'm hearing you correctly, Nick, you're saying I don't want the guy or the girl that stacks the Pro Vs on the shelf. Is that what you're not always, no. But, I mean, if, if you're I'm a golfer that's never played golf before and you're looking to break 100, I'm pretty sure that you could get lessons from your neighbor. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Or another player that plays better than you because at some – like. All those like all those little pieces are going to work for you. They're going to help you shave a couple shots here and there. But you know, one thing that I uh, that I really love about these golf schools that I run is that a golfer can come in who's never really taken lessons before or has taken lessons and hasn't seen anything improve. And within a week of the school, I get an email saying, "Man, I shot my career low round by five or six shots." I have a hundred emails stacked up that I printed out right here beside me right now from you know, a hundred of the 340 people that came to my schools last year that, you know, they said, wow, like 
one four hour school and I played my best round ever. Yeah. Like that's, uh, I can't get that's a better amazing. billboard. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's amazing. And I'm going to let you plug your, your schools here in a second. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but just on a, a personal note, because I, I would just want to ask this question. It might be tough for you to answer too, but you might have some insight. So my best score ever at our home course, Trillium, which you've played before, mm-hmm. I have shot even par there. So I'm, I know I'm, I'm very happy about that. What do you think, what's the difference between able to being able to break par? Like what are some of the things, and I, you can use like a, you know, a, a wide brush for this, but what are some of the things people are doing when they break par? Like, obviously I'm sure they're hitting greens. They're making yeah. putt. Oh, well, that's the first is that, is, is that like, give us a kind of a breakdown of when you're breaking par, what are, what are the key things? Yeah. So, I mean, hitting greens and regulation basically means having birdie putts. So the more birdie putts you have, the lower your score. Um, there's a really cool uh, math equation out there where if you take the number 95 and you reduce it by twice as many greens and regulations that you hit, that should equal your score. So let's just say you hit 10 greens and reg. So that's 95 minus two times 10. So 95 minus 20, that's 75. That's what you should be shooting. And that that's like give or take one shot. So that's the closest thing to shooting a better score. And all the stats guys, whether it's uh, um, Scott and Lou who run the decade program um, or uh, Canadian Peter, uh, Pete Sanders, who does the sh- uh, uh, shot by shot program. Um, you know, like these guys have always said it, the more greens you hit, the lower your score. It's the, it's the first stat to look at to get a better score. So that's the first thing I would look at, but that's just from a, te- like a, like a stat standpoint, I would say that if you can, if you have the ability to shoot even par, the reason you don't shoot even par every day is probably because of how you prepared. Right. Um, yeah. you know, did you get to the course at the right time? Are you eating and you drinking water during your round? Are you staying blah, blah, you know, quote unquote in the moment, you know, are you not getting too far ahead of yourselves of yourself? Um, you know, are you, are you just managing yourself? That's yeah. probably the the best way that I could describe it and I could look at it. It's not like one day all of a sudden, you know, you you hit the ball better than you ever have because, like, that rarely, rarely happens. Or you gain 20 yards off the tee somehow. Like, you know, that doesn't happen either. So it has it has a lot more to, like, if you have the ability to shoot even par and you've done it before, like I said, the you'll do it more often by looking to manage yourself before any golf-related thing. Yeah, no, and I mean, I'm not saying this to brag, but I mean, I... That is probably exactly with me because I know I, I usually go out and I can just get around our course. Now, granted, it's our course. I know it. Obviously, it would be different at other courses, but, you know, 82, 83, 84, no problems. But I'm never satisfied with that, right? Because I'm like, I know that I can I can go out and shoot in the 70s as well. But, yeah, you're right. I need to come and take one of your schools, I guess. Oh, I'd love to have this, you up there. What this ultimately is coming coming to, isn't it? Yeah. I'd love to have you up there. Like it's, it's so much fun. I mean, people look at, you know, four hours. Wow. That's really a long time. Well, that's a very fast round of golf and we have no problem playing golf in five hours. Um, I don't expect people to, you know, take the whole garbage can of golf balls and hit them all themselves like a, like a machine gun. You know, there's chairs, I have drinks, you know, I bring out some fruit so we can sit back. And I mean, it's the, it's the age of phones and, and, you know, connection. So, you know, hit balls for 45 minutes, sit down, check your phone for 10. You know, and do it again. And if, if I'm working with someone, then you like what I'm saying and you like what you're hearing for the guy right next to you, well, take a break and listen. Jump into the conversation. I mean, when I used to take my schools down in, in L.A., like if, if, if the guy that was working with us had something really cool to say and he knew it would affect someone else, he'd be like, hey, hey, Brian, come over here. You got to listen to this. 
And next thing you know, it would be like, you know, four or five people surrounding me and the teacher. And he's talking because it can affect everybody. So like, I think the idea of taking a private lesson is kind of bananas because I mean, how often are you the only people on the driving range? Like, I understand the idea of an individual lesson, and that's what these are. It's not a blanket approach. It's everyone gets the pieces the pieces that they need to hit the ball better. And not everybody, like, at no point is it, okay, everybody take your eight iron. Let's go to the yellow flag with fades. Like, no, we don't do that. That's not yeah. getting anybody forward. This is an individual lesson for each person. And by the end of the day, you know, it's, oh, I just have to, you know, pour the water out and step on the banana. I'm like, yeah, that's as easy as it gets. And you've got it. Now go practice, have some fun. You know, well, I'm I'm going to come down to one of those schools. I'm going to I'm going to try to get down there this year. I will uh, make a commitment to do my best to do that. Are some of they're not all full yet, are they? Or are they all sold out? Uh, no, they're not all sold okay. out. OK, good. And you'd probably make a special special one for me anyway. Oh, probably for sure. I bring three <laughs> okay. other guys to play tour golf and throw you right there into you the <laughs> right into the, right in the fire. Yeah. Uh, Nick, before we let you go, I know that you're a big fan of DJing. Uh, record scratching and all that stuff because I watch your videos and I'm a huge fan of, you know, 90s hip hop, rap, all that stuff too. So I'm going to just give you a little clip of a song. I just want to see where your wisdom lies. I want to see how long it takes you to tell me who does this song. All right. You ready? I know you'll get this really easy. This is one of my favorite. Actually, what I'm about to play is probably one of my favorite like beats and stuff. It just sounds so sick. I mean, I don't know if you like the song, but you tell me who it is. Here we go. You know yet? No. You don't? No. You got to wait for the beat to kick in. Here we go. Hold on. Oh, oh I might have stumped you. Yeah, I think you have. That's a little bit R&B-like, which kind uh, of... It's, it's Tony Touch featuring, okay. to- featuring Total called I Wonder Why He's the Greatest DJ. You got to check that track out. I will. I used to get Tony Touch uh, mixtapes, um, yeah. basically bootlegged from New York, and they'd go around my high school. And yeah, it was uh, just uh, that. But that drum beat, though, that, I mean, that's just a, that's just dirty. All right, I'm going to look <laughs> this one up. Yeah, that's a good one. I think I could see you just pumping that at some of your schools. So I'm going to look that one up for sure. All right. The website is nickstartjuck.com. Nick, thanks again for joining us really appreciate you taking the time to do it and uh we look forward to seeing you this summer and would love to get a game in as well awesome and uh you know one quick thing um i've recently been announced the head coach for ryerson use golf team oh and, that's right uh, that's right i forgot sorry and so about that. you know we are you know all sports in in canada university collegiate stuff uh, is on hold obviously because all, all this pandemic stuff so i'm hoping that you know i can feel the team as of september um, but one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to run a pro-am fundraiser up here in Toronto. And since you are an expert uh, tournament operator, I'm going to be uh, reaching out to you to to get some advice and get some consulting and probably get you on my board if possible to uh, to help me run this thing. Because I've talked with a lot of, you know, really cool people about uh, kicking this off um, and having some really fun you know, uh, fun things going on with it. I'll just leave it at that and not give too much away, but, um, I'm hoping to do that in September. So, you know, for any listener that's interested in doing this, it's going to be a blast and I will, uh, I'll pick your brain when the time comes for this. Yeah, no, I'm more than happy to help. And I should say too, because you've been a great supporter, uh, when you've had the time to come down and support a big pro-am we do here in Belleville, Ontario, raising money for mental health and our homeless shelter. So yeah, anything I can do, Nick, to help out, 
Just say the word. As long as we listen to Tony Touch yes. while we're doing that. Again, <laughs> the website is nickstarchuk.com. Nick, all the best, and we, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks very right, much for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks to Nick Starchuk for doing that. Uh, voice is getting a little rougher, but it's much better than it was. I also got to give a shout-out to Jim Davidson, who listens to the show. We're playing golf the other day. Jimmy's a, a friend. And uh, we play together quite a bit at Trillium Wood, our home course. And Jimmy says, hey, can I give you some advice? And I'm like, sure. He's like, try to be more conversational in your show. I'm like, okay, Jimmy. Now, Jimmy doesn't have a massive broadcasting background, but I respect his feedback. So, so Jimmy, I hope this is conversational enough. I will say this uh, to Jimmy. Uh, I didn't look at your scorecard the other day, but I think I might question your ultimate final score because I think it was in the first three holes you had at least at least two penalty shots and I don't know if you counted those so there's some conversation for you Jimmy <laughs> and he's got nice new shoes from Echo so we got to thank Todd Davidson for those um don't forget J-O-D-I-E at jjthegolfguy.com I completely forgot to give a shout out to Brett Black our producer I got so into talking to Nick Brett good to see you I knew you were there. I just forgot to mention you. But Brett's been working very hard. Uh, we have some great guests coming up as well in the next couple of weeks. And, yeah, find us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Enjoy the rest of your week. We will talk to you in seven days. See ya.